1: You are listening to RotoViz Radio, a fantasy football podcast, with your host, Matthew Friedman. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle of the Action Network and RotoViz. Welcome to a special edition of RotoViz Radio. Today we are talking about the Los Angeles Chargers. In between the NFL combine and the draft, I'm interviewing beat reporters for every franchise, 32 teams, 32 beat writers, and 32 episodes we're covering team needs, free agency, draft rumors, basically everything between now and day 1 of the draft. For this episode, I'm joined by Matt Money Smith, the Chargers play-by-play announcer as well as a writer and podcaster for NFL Media. In this episode, he talks with us about the state of the team's defense, the team's plans for the first round, and Philip Rivers' timeline to retirement. Before we get to the guest, I'd like to remind you that you can get a listeners only 30% discount to a RotoViz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all the premium NFL content on the site, and it also supports the pod. All right, let's get to the guest. Please welcome to the show Matt Money Smith the Chargers play-by-play announcer and a contributor for NFL media. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Money Smith. Matt, thanks for taking the time to talk with us.
2: Oh, absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks, Matt.
1: Yeah, it's a a fantastic time of year. We're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, So much free agency news has just broken wide. Uh, so l- let's talk about it and, and we'll see if any of it in some way will Im- impact the chargers. It doesn't seem as if any of it has yet, but you never know. Um, let's start with the secondary, which is an amazing group. The chargers have one of the deepest cornerback units in the league. Uh, so Casey Hayward this past season, maybe the, the top cornerback in the league. He just had a, uh, an extension of three years. Uh, amazingly, Jason Verrett, uh, an all pro caliber type of guy at this point coming back, he looks like he might be the fourth cornerback on the depth chart. How do you see that unit shaking out?
2: Well, I think if Jason's healthy, he ends up going back to the opposite corner from Casey. I don't think there's any question. Trevor Williams certainly did a nice job filling in for him, but I think a lot of that um, was a product of the secondary unit as a whole. Um, I think the defensive backs did a great job of really helping Trevor out. Um, not saying that he, he wasn't capable of making some great plays, but I do think if you watch, if you go back and watch a lot of the games, you'll see that they're shading coverage his direction, giving him quite a bit of help, um, which was made made Casey's season even more impressive because he really was out on that island almost the entire season. So if Jason comes back, I think what you'll see is Trevor become that third outside corner because I think Desmond King is more suited to play that inside. Slot corner. He'll play some safety. He was also kind of their thumper of a corner. If they wanted to run some corner blitzes, I'm not so sure that that his best position with his skill set is suited to kind of move to the outside. So I think you, you kind of have that three corner rotation with those three guys: Trevor, Jason, and uh, and obviously Casey. Jasmine plays that inside corner, um, and then hopefully, you know, if everything works out in free agency, you have the three you know, Trey Boston, Adrian Phillips, and, and Jaleel Adada back out there again.
1: Yeah, and, and Desmond King, really a fantastic rookie season. Although he was playing in the slot, uh, it's still an important position in the NFL and kind of the unheralded rookie cornerback, uh, you know, next to other guys like, uh, like Marshawn Lattimore, but a really fantastic season for him. If you look across the board, it's kind of amazing how snake-bitten the Chargers were in terms of injuries. Uh, so Verrett was out. Uh, and then you also had uh, rookie Forrest Lamp, uh, another rookie, Mike Williams. Uh, both of those guys miss significant time. Uh, let's start with Lamp. Uh, where do you think he slots in in this offensive line? I'm assuming uh, on, on the guard uh, spot there, right guard. But how do you think he functions within the unit, and uh, are we expecting him to be fully healthy?
2: Well, you know, I think that's the question. If he's healthy, yeah, he's your starting right guard. Um, I, I'm not sure. You know, Joe Barksdale will be back. I'm guessing just kind of seems like everything I'm hearing, you know, the smoke there is that they may try to move on from him. Uh, and you might see that right tackle come in pre-agency here. We haven't seen it yet at the time we're recording this. So I think ultimately, um, you know, you have Russell Okun, the all-pro left tackle, the pro-bowl left tackle inside of him. I think best case would be Dan Feeney, um, and they find a center and right tackle maybe in pre-agency instead or fully kind of becomes the rotational guard. Um, same with Kenny Wiggins. I think Kenny did a great job when pressed into duty. I mean, a great job considering Lamp was lost for the year, but I do think there was a, a, a pretty good dip in in talent uh, without Lamp, and I think that's why you saw them struggle to run the ball early on. I mean, Lamp's really nasty. He's big, strong. He's exactly what you want at that right guard position. Uh, especially if you can find a little bit more of a bruiser in the run game. You know, Joe did a great job at pass pro, but I, I think run blocking is where the Chargers really lost a lot from what you get from kind of a, a, a more, you know, advanced, a little more elite right tackle. So I, I'm guessing that may be the way it shakes out. Now, one of the other kind of combos that we've heard is that Dan is, is built uh, and moves pretty well as a very heady player to play center. So you may see Feeney kick into center, and then maybe they go out and try to find the left guard.
1: Interesting. Let's talk about Mike Williams. Uh, I mean, the Chargers, they have a very good wide receiver unit, Keenan Allen. Uh, is one of the best wide receivers in the league. Tyrell Williams, uh, you know, someone who has some upside, although it's not certain that he's going to be with the team next year, so that might create an opening for Mike Williams. Obviously, Travis Benjamin is still there with the team. Where do you see Mike Williams fitting in within the unit?
2: Well, you know, I mean, that all I can speak to is seeing him walk around because we didn't see a lot of playing and production from him. He is an impressive-looking guy. Like, he's just walking around the facility. I mean, he has built almost like a slender tight end. I mean, he's that big. He's that tall. He's that wide. He's that physically strong up top. Uh, And then you see him run, and you just wonder what the potential could be. So if he's healthy, yeah, I mean, you've really got a nice package of receivers. Speed of Travis Benjamin inside or outside. You've got Keenan Allen, who I think is the absolute bar none best route runner uh, and one of the toughest covers in the NFL, and then you get that physical ability, you know, to high point the ball, to make those 50-50 balls, 80-20 balls, a la Julio Jones and Dez Bryant and Mike Williams. Uh, and you always kind of hear the, the scouts kind of say you want to build your, your receiver unit like a basketball team, and that's what Mike Williams would do is he gives you that kind of um, – almost it's almost beyond a power forward kind of a center that you can just lob the ball at the rim and good luck getting this high or being able to hang on to him to drag him down you know travis is the point guard keenan allen is that sort of small forward who's shifting all over the place um and i think like you said with tyrell he would only be the foundational player um that would come in but he's a good scheme fit I, I do think he's still pretty raw and i think there was a little bit of production there with him last year um you know, the New England game comes to mind and Phillip threw a perfect ball and Williams ran his route out of bounds and that negated what would have been a touchdown. Um, so I think there's a little bit of those frustrations that come with a guy who's undrafted out of Western Oregon and is still trying to figure it out. But I do think they see great potential in, in Williams and Tyrell Williams, and that's why they put that second round.
1: You know, even if uh, Mike Williams doesn't develop or progress the way that people would want him to this year, there's always the possibility that that extra production could go to Hunter Henry, uh, who's flashed a lot at times in his two leagues, uh, his two years in the league. Um, Any thoughts on uh, what we might see out of him? And and there are also uh, reports that uh, the team might be meeting with Antonio Gates and considering bringing him back. What are your thoughts on the tight end unit in general?
2: Yeah, I'll start with the last part. I think Gates is just a money issue. I think if the numbers right, they want him back. He's a great locker room guy. He's a really good person to have around the team. But I think it's clear um that the production has slipped to a point where, you know, the numbers gotta be right. Um and if it is, there's no question they want him back. And I gotta believe they they try to figure out a way to make that happen. Hunter Henry's one of the best tight ends in the league. Uh he just I you know, i me biased, that's fine, but He's, he's a true why. He'll put his hand in the ground. He'll knock a guy on his ass, you know, trying to come around on that hook on the end, and then he'll go out and run as good a pass routes and has the, as soft a hands as any tight end in the league. Um, you know, they're so hard to find, full-service tight ends. So I think the one thing that people, you know, think about, and certainly it was frustrating for us in the booth calling the game because you're above the field, you can see the routes, and you see Hunter not being involved, but really what happens is, there were games where he was the number one player that opposing teams were taking away. They were not going to let him beat them. Uh, And that meant there was a lot of safety house. Linebacker safety combo was top quarter safety or linebacker shade combo was double defensive acts that they were playing. And, And he was kind of a one guy or he was, you know, I think one of the perhaps less recognized players that people thought about teams looking to eliminate in their defensive schemes. So, that's the other way, you know, when you mentioned Mike Williams, if Mike comes back and you've got, you know, Mike on one side, Tina on the other, Henry inside, not to mention a Travis Benjamin maybe taking the top off through the slot, that's really going to make things extremely tough for opposing defenses to slow. Not to mention Melvin Gordon and how good he is catching the path out of the backfield. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, Hunter Henry's, I've got to believe, going to be a much bigger part of the offense this year. If it's up to Wiz, Coach Ken Wizenhunt, the offensive coordinator, just because teams are going to have to pick and choose. And, and I think he does a really good job, and Phillip Rivers does a really good job, of just going to the option that the teams can't cover, because they can't, cover, they can't double everyone, and they can't shade coverage to everyone. And I think this past year you saw Rivers, you know, in a Pro Bowl season, uh, really show why he's still an elite quarterback, because he's comfortable just figuring out, hey, what are you giving me? I'm going to take it, and I'm going to take it in spades all game long.
1: So we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, not much has happened in terms of free agency for the Chargers. They have, it looks like about 22 million in cap space. And I look at their roster and, you know, top to bottom, it's a pretty stout unit. Um, they don't have many just hugely glaring holes. What do you think the plans are for free agency and positions of need where the team might look to address, uh, potential, um, potential shortcomings that they have?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, kind of what we talked about, um, you know, right tackle, center, uh, or maybe guard if they decide to move, you know, kick Feeney to center and, and sign a guard. I think that's that's one potential area where they could spend some money. Um, the second, I think, is kind of what they project the draft is going to look like. Um, and, and I think that, that comes down to safety slash defensive tackle. If they feel like Vita Vea or Deron Payne are going to slip to them, um, then I think, they may stay away from Muhammad Wilkerson and Dominican Sue, one of those big splash signings, but I do know they, you know, the Gus, I've got to believe, loves the idea of, of adding a disruptive force to Boson Ingram on the outside and the idea of what that might be able to do, considering, you know, how good the secondary has been. If you can get to the quarterback, you know, that half second faster because you now have a, a disruptive force like a Wilkerson or a Sue on the inside. I could see them going that route. Um, but I also envision, you know, Telesco, Puff, Telesco, the general manager and his staff kind of shaking out the draft and saying, all right, give, give us, let's, before we, you know, sink a bunch of money into one of these two guys, what are the, uh, you know, what, what's the possibility of us getting a talent like Faya or like Payne at that number 17? But I think beyond those, i, I got to believe they want to bring Trey Boston back. I think he was a question mark at the start of the season. Uh, and certainly uh, not just a great surprise, but a serious contributor. I mean, he had a, he ended with five interceptions, and, and I think I counted two or three more that he had his hands on, one that was just a straight drop. So there was a lot of production with him at that spot, and it's such an important spot in Gus Bradley's system um, that I've got to believe they want to bring him back.
1: In terms of the draft, are your thoughts that they're going to be focusing more on the defensive side of the ball?
2: Well, you know, Tom Telesco and John Spanos, they are best player available uh, guys, and, you know, much like the Patriots where it is not position dependent. They have got their ratings and whichever guy is sitting there, and that's why they got Mike Williams. They had him rated a couple slots higher than seven where they picked, and they felt like it was a value to drop to them. Um, I, I, I think they're, they're very good about sticking to their board. And that said, I do think that That Vea, DeRon Payne, and Derwin James are three names that that I can see probably valued considerably higher than the number 17 spot. Um, And if if either of those three are there, I'd be really surprised if they didn't go with one of them. Rashawn Evans is another one I think that they they really believe in, the linebacker out, out of Alabama. Um, and I think there's a couple linebackers. You know, if for whatever reason, if Tremaine Edmonds or Roquan Smith managed to slip, I think those are three different players. You know, they really do need to figure something out in that, that linebacking unit. That's something I didn't bring up, and I probably should have with free agency. Um, I, I do think linebacker is a position where they probably are going to spend a little bit of money because they were undersized. You know, Jatavis Brown found himself out of the rotation um, so by the end of the season, even though he was there <laughs> there and all of last season just because he was undersized and that run he was really giving up far too many yards on the ground. So I think they're probably looking for a thumper and free agency and that's kind of where Rashad Evans pops it in my mind. Just linebacker who can really bring it. Up. Um maybe even Vanderesch, you know, if they if, if he they feel like they've seen enough from you know the, the linebacker out of out of uh, Boise State because you know I, I do the combine for NFL Network and, and being out there and seeing him, man, that is an impressive athlete. That six foot four, you know, two hundred and forty five, two fifty five pound body gliding around, and you think about the kind of you know pressure that can bring and the kind of violence a body like that can bring in the run game. Um, maybe that's a possibility as well.
1: Yeah, all of those guys, potential day one picks, uh, all of them in, in various mock drafts across the industry have been, uh, have been assigned to the Chargers. Uh, as you mentioned, you went to the combine. So I'm curious, were there any, uh, any guys who are maybe slated more for kind of day two, day three that you looked at and thought, you know, like this guy isn't going to be highly valued in the process, but he could really fit in well with what the Chargers are looking to do?
2: Well, I think, you know, because of the league and the type of league it is, that you're always looking at corners and safety. I don't think there's any question. So I think Bates out of Wake Forest, um, Alexander out of Louisville, um, you know, were two second-round guys I was thinking about that I, I think maybe have a shine I don't think any question that J.R. Alexander out of Louisville is going to go on the first now. I mean, he was impressive. Talk about good-looking fluid hips. Um, and, and there's tape there to back it up. There were just some question marks going into the combine, and the athleticism really popped. Um that's one. I think Van Der Esch was one who was maybe a borderline day two guy just because there's not a lot of production there or a lot of playing time in college. It was really just kind of this one single year at Boise. Um, and the fact that he popped, uh, let's see, I'm going through the position groups now. Offensive line, maybe Colton Miller didn't jump up to a day one, but maybe a day two from a day three um, with his athleticism. Uh, no doubt the tight end, I mean, Hayden Hurst, no question, he's he's a day one guy. I mean, he's, he's like a Hunter Henry, although maybe not as not as um, skilled in, in pass reception, but, man, is he nasty. Uh, I'm sure he's a guy that's going to perhaps work his way into day one and Mike Kosicki, the, the super athlete, volleyball. I mean, that's going to be, the, it's funny, you know, that's like the next thing we're going to tap into, right, is Mike Kosicki, who just killed the combine at the tight end position, and of course he did. He's a damn former outside hitter playing volleyball at five, So, yeah, he jumped 41 inches and, and had an 11-foot broad jump, you know, and, and while he's looking on a fluid out there. So it'll be interesting to see if he starts a trend and more and more volleyball players who aren't necessarily known as the most physical bunch start to think about, you know, because it's the same with basketball players, right? Really start to think about making that transition to football.
0: Easy parking with easy trip now available at dundrum town center so you can now use your toll tags to park in our car parks simply register at easytrip.ie forward slash parking easy parking with easy trip dundrum where more happens
1: a question about philip rivers because uh, he he's seemingly you know one of the only guys we haven't talked about um, so important to the team but he is getting older um, what are your thoughts on what we can expect to see and when do you think the window is going to start to close for him?
2: Well, you know, I, he was so good last year and it started out slow a little bit there. Uh, I think a lot of that wasn't on Phillip, but it was on Anthony Lynn, the head coach, uh, and him trying to really kind of change the way the Chargers were doing things. I think he came in and felt like we're throwing the ball too much. This team has given away late lead the last couple of years. We got to be more physical. And I think he put Ken Wiz and Phillip Rivers in a position, and he's admitted as much, um, in a position where they could not be as successful. I think once they got off to that zero and four start, and it's a great credit to Anthony Lynn, instead of being stubborn and saying, I'm the guy, you're going to listen to me, he kind of took a step back, reassessed, and said, what's going wrong? And he listened, you know? And I think Wiz and, and Phillip kind of said, hey, look, man, we got this thing. We, we can run an offense. Um, you want to work Melvin in more, we can figure it out. Let's just do it our way. That means you know, going to set up the run, so be it. And I think they found that pretty sweet rhythm by the end of the year. And that's why Rivers ended up going to the Pro Bowl, you know, was a two-time AFC Offensive Player of the Week, Um, and and shows no sign of slowing down. I mean, guy's never missed a game. When you stand next to him, it's like standing next to a defensive end. I mean, he is a massive human being. He is not – you know, he is broad-shouldered. He is thick-legged, heavy trunk. So I think his big – you know, and is strong and the durability that that he's shown over the course of the career, I think at worst, he's just playing out this contract and then calling it a career. But I think he's probably got maybe one more, much like Drew Brees, two-year deal in him. Um, And I'm sure the Chargers would be happy to have it. Um, I I don't, I do think that Anthony Lynn, you know, because he came from Buffalo and was around Tyrod and kind of liked that mobile quarterback a little bit, you know, wouldn't mind some mobility at the position, but that said, you know it's it's so hard to not be thankful for what you have when you see the way Philip can distribute and get so many different guys involved. So I'm I'm going to say worst case, um, he plays it out as a Charger, and and maybe if they decide to move on, he goes somewhere else. If they decide that Cardale's the guy and they like the way he's progressing, I didn't see much from him last year. Um, I wasn't that impressed, to be honest with you. Just kind of watching him in practice and in, in warm-ups during games, I think he's still struggling to find that touch. Um, I mean, he's impressive, when he's running around, no question. But I think you got to be able to throw the ball and you got to be able to throw it accurately to be able to play quarterback in, in, in the NFL, you know, which is much different than college. You can get away with it, even at a very high level um, in college. NFL, not so much. And I think there's a lot of work to do on his accuracy and his touch when it comes to his passing. So maybe they feel like that's on a good track and they're comfortable you know, keeping him as their number two guy.
1: Matt, this has been a lot of fun. One last question here. Uh, hypothetical. Let's say that there is a quarterback, a first-round quarterback that the team actually likes. And, uh, you know, you've said that they tend to be more of a best player available franchise, and a quarterback drops to them at 17. Do you think they would draft that guy?
2: It's a good question. Um, and I don't know. I really don't. I, I think I think they would. Um, just speak from what I know, they say position, uh, that they are position neutral, that whoever's on that board, they're taken. Um, if it were, if it were four years ago, I'd say quarterback might be overlooked if they felt like they're a contender and there's another hole they could fill to help them make the playoffs because they know a quarterback's not going to do a damn thing for them. Right. I, it's a tough question just because, you know, Last year, they won nine of their last twelve games. That team felt like, you know, being around them every day. That team felt like they wholeheartedly believed that they got into the playoffs. They were going to the Super Bowl. They know what, what you know, they knew they were beating Jacksonville. felt like they had them beat, and that was one they just, just, you know, coughed up. I mean, they, you know, they they snatched defeat from the hands of victory, not the other way around. I mean, it was ugly. So they felt like they were going to get out of that one. And they felt like the New England game, If you, you know, when they went back through the film, there's two or three plays. You know, I mentioned the Tyrell play out of bounds, and now I'm going too deep into detail here. But, you know, there was a pick play that was called back. It was a touchdown for Travis Banshee. And what I'm getting at is is a team that thinks they can win the Super Bowl. And if you believe you have the roster to win the Super Bowl, you're probably not taking a quarterback in the first round. Now, that said, it's so far over value. Let's say Josh Rosen slips to them at 17. Um then that I could see happening, yes. But I don't think they're reaching for a Baker Mayfield or a Lamar Jackson at 17 with the
1: team that they got. Matt, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for the time, and I hope that we have a chance to talk with you again as we get closer to the season.
2: You got it, man. Anytime, man. I enjoyed it.
1: Just finished speaking with Matt Money-Smith, the Chargers play-by-play announcer, as well as a writer and podcaster for NFL Media. We covered a lot. Here are some of my thoughts on what we talked about. Uh, First, we talked about the the team's defense and particularly the fantastic cornerback unit that the team has. Uh, Just to to put some perspective on this, Uh, Casey Hayward was, uh, by Pro Football Focus's, Ratings, the top cornerback in the league last year. Uh, the top overall cornerback grade, ninety six point four. Also, the top coverage grade, ninety six point seven. On top of that, Trevor Williams uh, had the tenth highest coverage grade. Uh, and Matt talked about specific reasons for why that could have been, maybe safety help that he was getting. But still, it's pretty uh, pretty fantastic for a guy who really wasn't who wasn't intended to be the starting outside corner that was intended to be Jason Verrett before he had his season-ending injury. Um, So pretty fantastic to get that type of production on the outside. Desmond King, uh, in his rookie season, had a, a fantastic year, had the 13th highest coverage grade by Pro Football Focus. So even though they lost Jason Verrett, who theoretically was their number one cornerback entering the year, they still had three top 13 cornerbacks in coverage, which is uh, which is pretty phenomenal considering that it is a passing league. And if you can shut down the other team's passing attack, you can really uh, impose your will defensively. And we saw that with the Chargers. They weren't the the best defense. They didn't have the best defense this past year. Uh, I think you know pretty clearly you would look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you would say that they had the best unit, followed by the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, but I think the Chargers were a close third. Um, one thing that is pretty interesting, however, is that the Chargers exceeded expectations defensively more than any other team in the league. Uh, so their opponents, on a week-to-week basis, if you looked at the Vegas uh, the Vegas lines, um, the spread, implied totals, the Chargers... Uh, prevented their opponents from hitting their implied total by the highest margin in the league. So the Chargers defensively really outperformed Vegas expectations. Uh, And I don't think that that was really a fluke. Um, So there are two ways you could look at that. One, you could say that um, Vegas was probably right, but the Chargers overperformed in that this year defensively, we should look for them to regress. Uh, Or you could say that Um, The Vegas market took a long time, uh, too long, to adapt to what the Chargers had. Uh, And I think that is probably the case because it's not as if the Chargers just had three three great cornerbacks. Uh, They had very strong safety play. uh, And then more to the point, they had perhaps the best duo of edge, edge rushers in the league in Melvin Ingram and Joey Boza. Um both of them had PFF pass rushing grades in the 90s. Uh so both of them top 8 rush defender of uh, rush defenders. So uh there's a lot of uh, reason to be very uh optimistic. And I I think optimism is probably the wrong word, but to be appropriately bullish uh for what the Chargers have going for them defensively. Of course, uh as Matt mentioned, They are somewhat vulnerable up the middle. Um, So in terms of defensive tackle, they could look to address that position. And then also linebacker, they could look to address that position in the draft. Uh, And then also along the offensive line. Um, But there are a lot of things that they could do in the first round. They're picking at number 17. And if you just look at the players available... Uh, If they want to address the linebacker position, Roquan Smith, Tremaine Edmonds, Rashawn Evans, Leighton Vander Esch, one of those guys will be there at pick 17. And I think there's, there's reason. I think it would be justified to pick any of those players at pick 17. If they wanted to go with offensive tackle, Maybe they would be reaching a little bit uh, depending on who would be available. But Isaiah Wynn, he's a, a guard only kind of quote unquote guard only prospect. Um, but it's possible that he could play tackle. He played tackle in college. People are talking about him as if he's only a guard, but it's possible he could, you know he could play right guard. Uh, sorry, right tackle. A team could try him out there in the NFL just to see because he is a very capable guy. Uh, Orlando Brown, uh, horrible combine numbers. Uh, but reportedly he interviewed well at the Combine, which is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know how much that matters uh, versus what uh, he was able to do or not do on on the Combine, uh, in the Combine drills, but um, it's possible that he could be used as a right tackle. Connor Williams, Mike McGlinchey, there's potential there at uh, right tackle, and then defensive tackle, Maurice Hurst, Taven Bryan, Vita Vea, Deron Payne, one of those guys will be there. So th- the big picture is that with that first-round pick, uh, they can get value while still addressing one of their big areas of need. Uh, so it's kind of this perfect situation for them where they are in. Um, I mean, really, and I mentioned this on, on the show earlier with Matt, you look up and down the roster, there aren't really all that many holes. Um, their defense is very strong. Their offense definitely came on Um You know, I think Melvin Gordon at times is a overrated running back. Uh, I don't think that he's particularly all that great of a runner, but he is actually very good as a pass catcher Uh, and he has good size. Uh, So, you know, as long as you can hand the ball to him a lot and he can score touchdowns and you can get him the ball out of the backfield, it's hard to be um, too nitpicky about what he does. So there really aren't all that many holes on this team and that they – they are in a position where they will be able to address uh, any of their three main weaknesses with a first-round pick, while probably getting some value there. Uh, that's pretty intriguing. I mentioned with Matt, uh, or I asked Matt the possibility of uh, you know what happens if there is a quarterback there, uh, and that guy is the highest-rated player on their board, and you know they still have a franchise quarterback in Philip Rivers would they consider drafting a quarterback um you know as matt mentioned it is a team that primarily sticks to their draft board in a very position agnostic way so last year mike williams was there wide receiver they didn't really need a wide receiver but they drafted him anyway Uh, what happens if Josh Allen or Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield, maybe even Lamar Jackson, what happens if one of those guys is there at 17, some teams are reportedly very high on Lamar Jackson. I would expect him to be there at 17. Um, maybe he's not. Um, but what if, what if the chargers have evaluated him and you know, he's the 10th player on their board and he's there at 17, um, would they pass on him? And one thing to think about, uh, so many, I'm recording this on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, I should say March 13th. So many free agent moves happened today. We haven't technically reached free agency, but we are in that legal tampering, uh, time frame. So many free agent moves happened today. Drew Brees re-signed with the Saints. That was as expected. Case, uh, Case Keenum signed with the Broncos. Kirk Cousins signed with the Vikings. All that's fairly normal, but you have Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater, Bridgewater signing with the Jets. Um, Tyrod Taylor with the Browns via trade. Uh, we know that Sam Bradford, and Mike Lennon with the Cardinals. Uh, I mean, AJ McCarron is still out there. Um, you know, some things are some things are going to happen, and just in terms of where where players sign and and what happens is that um, now all of these teams that clearly had quarterback voids, they don't quite as obviously have quarterback voids. I mean, I think they do. I I think it's possible that they could sign these players and still draft quarterbacks. I think many of them, that's what they probably should do, but one, they might not think that they need to do that. And then two, it's possible that the draft mix, the draft community is higher on many of these quarterbacks than the decision makers. Um, you know and again, it's possible that some of these teams that just signed quarterbacks, uh, they will believe that now they have the flexibility to address other positions in the draft. So what happens if a quarterback actually falls to the Chargers at number seventeen? Um, if that happens, I think they should take one. And I think this gets us to the point of Philip Rivers, like what is his timeline to retirement? He will be thirty six for most of this upcoming season. Um, that's not ancient, but that's old enough where he really could fall off at any moment. If this were his last year in the league, it wouldn't be surprising. If he were, if he were horrible, it wouldn't be surprising. If he were great, it wouldn't be surprising. If he were great and decided to retire, that is totally possible, right? Uh, anything could happen at this point with Phillip rivers. Um, as we have seen just based on the teams who need quarterbacks, uh, If you do not have a quarterback, there is only so far that you can go. Uh, And so Rivers being on the cusp, I think if there is a quarterback there that the Chargers actually like, it would make sense for them to draft him. Um, So again, he will be 36 last year. He was pretty good. He had only 10 interceptions. He had a league low sack rate of 3%. But in two of the past four years, he's led the league in interceptions. Uh, They've made it to the playoffs only once in the last seven years. And not all that is on Rivers. Um, You know, you look at this, and as Matt said, it could be a Super Bowl team. Like, they think they could be a Super Bowl team, especially because their conference is weak. Sorry, uh, let me rephrase that. Their division is weak. Um, In that AFC West, the Raiders are transitioning to a new coach. The Broncos are transitioning to a new quarterback. The Chiefs are transitioning to a new quarterback. And of course, the Chiefs could be good once again this year, but there's opportunity there for the Chargers. It would make sense to draft a player who could help them get the most out of this roster right away, but that's short-term thinking. Um, I think this is a good year for rookie quarterbacks. 21-year-old rookie quarterbacks who entered the league as first-rounders. Um, and let's just say like throughout like Josh Freeman, I I think he kind of doesn't count because he didn't really fit the, like the, the profile of, um, an NFL quarterback. He had too low of a completion percentage, but 21 year old rookie quarterbacks who are first round caliber guys, they tend to stick in the league for a long time. Uh, and there are three of those guys this year. That's, um, I, I mean, that's not incredible. Because uh, increasingly you have more underclassmen entering the draft, but it's pretty significant. Uh, and then on top of that, you have Baker Mayfield and then Josh Allen. I don't think that highly Josh Allen, but um, Hey, some people might look at him. I mean, the Chargers might look at him and think like, Hey, that could be our next Philip rivers, you know, a, a big guy like that. You could see how they could compare him to rivers. The point is, it's a pretty good class for rookie quarterbacks. Um, There are five guys who conceivably could go in the first round. Uh, So a lot of people would say that maybe, um, especially at at this point, there's no chance that uh, one of the top four quarterbacks makes it to 17. Um, And maybe throw Lamar Jackson in there. I think he will be there at 17. It's just a question of what the Chargers think about him. But people say, you know, probably no chance that a quarterback makes it to number 17 probably no chance uh, that the Chargers draft a quarterback. I think that the chances of uh, both of those things happening are probably better than than people think. Um, So something just to keep in mind. That is going to do it for this Chargers-focused special edition of Viz Radio. Be sure to check out the episodes for all the other teams on Viz and the podcast feed. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rodoviz Podcast. Special thanks to Hassan Rahim, the producer for this episode, and to Colm Kelly, the assistant executive producer for the podcast channel. Please review the show on iTunes under the Rodoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL Podcast homepage, Rotoviz.com podcast. Today's show was brought to you by SAP. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm feeling great, thanks. How about you? You feeling happy? A little angry? People have so many feelings, millions of them. But what if businesses could really understand all of those feelings and then act on them to make their customers feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management and it's here. Because the future of business has feelings. And I've got a feeling we're all going to like it.
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: J.B. Weld, world's strongest bond. Pros have trusted it for over 50 years. But uh, why hire a pro when you can J.B. Weld it? J.B. Weld makes it easy to do yourself. We're proud to have J.B. Weld Adhesives as a sponsor. I personally know the owner. Hung out with these guys down at the uh, car show there. And um, I have all their products. What can I say? DIY projects, good auto stuff, crafts, plumbing, marine, all the applications. I use the product to fix Sonny's tennis shoe, save myself some money. Stromer used it to fix his tray on his wet saw because he's doing some tile work. Different product, but all made by J.B. Weld. J.B. Weld just acquired Herculiner, the original DIY truck bed liner. So if you're looking for the world's strongest truck bed liner, Herculiner, has you covered. JB Weld, right, Dawson? JB
2: Weld is available at jbweld.com, Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, AutoZone, Advanced Auto Parts, Napa, O'Reilly, Amazon, Michaels, and more. And remember, JB Weld epoxy products are proudly made in the USA. JB Weld, world's strongest bond.